uh, back in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. So if you have your Bible with you and you'd like to turn there, I'm going to cover a little bit of context uh, before we get to our passage. So I don't know if you know this, but in just two short weeks, two short weeks from today is Palm Sunday. It's already fast upon us. And Palm Sunday is the day that we celebrate and we remember Jesus's arrival in Jerusalem for um, the Passover celebration, which would ultimately be a week that would lead to his execution and then resurrection. So for this week and for next week, leading up to Palm Sunday, we're going to look at two different encounters that Jesus had with two very different people. So that, that's our plan uh, for the next couple of weeks. And I wanted to, to provide this context too. I think this is important, that when you make your way through Luke's narrative of the gospel account, there's a significant transition point. It, it's, it's very subtle. You might not catch it, you know, if you're just kind of reading through. But it happens in chapter 9, verse 51, and it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That marks the beginning of Jesus' intentional journey to Jerusalem. And so everything that happens from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through nearly the end of chapter 19, occurs during this journey. It, it's a long description of a journey. It's 10 chapters long, basically, and it describes Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And our passage today is going to pick up as Jesus, he's made most of the journey, and he is, comes to Jericho. And you may have heard the, the name Jericho before, but let's just ask ourselves, where is Jericho? All right, so let's see if I can, so G, this is Jesus's route, so he's coming south, and there's the Sea of Galilee's up here, and then there's the Jordan River, Jerusalem's down here. And so if you can see, there's some dotted lines. One reason I like this map is dotted lines are good because those are known routes that uh, travelers would take in between locations and towns. So if you can see here, Jesus is following this, this kind of well-known route that follows just on the east side of the Jordan River, and then it crosses the Jordan River, and here's Jericho, okay? And then here's Jerusalem, Jericho's about 17 miles from Jerusalem, so that's about the, the distance there. And the, the town of Jericho, if you can't really see it on the map, but right down here is the Dead Sea. Um, the town of Jericho sits at 825 feet below sea level. All right, so, uh, yeah, there's the Mediterranean. So there's sea level right there, and this is 825 feet below sea level. That's why it's near the Dead Sea there. Jerusalem is, whenever you hear Jesus traveling to Jerusalem or in this context, a lot of times it says they went up to Jerusalem. Well, that's because literally they are going up to Jerusalem um, because Jericho sits about 3,400 feet below Jerusalem's elevation. So over 17 miles, they also climb 3,400 vertical feet to get to Jerusalem. And this was a, this was a pretty common route for, for many travelers. 
And Jericho was, it, you know, this isn't, a, it's kind of an arid part of the world. And so it provided a, a nice place to, to stop, to refresh, to get some water and food. And so that's, that's our context today. That's, that's kind of the, the environment, the surrounding. Um, but before we pick up with our text, let's pray that God's Spirit would guide us and teach us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our minds and hearts to receive your truth. And may these words that uh, record for us the account of Jesus' life and ministry speak to us and dwell within us. As we reflect on this encounter that a man had with Jesus 2,000 years ago, let it be wisdom for us as we encounter Jesus here and now. So speak to us and help us that we would be your light in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, or a.k.a. the end of the chapter. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered, that, or ordered the man to be brought to him, and when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Let's, let's jump right back to the, the beginning of that passage, make a couple of observations. So verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, we already talked about Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So we're introduced here to the, the subject of our encounter. And the first distinguishing characteristic of the man is that he was blind. As someone who was blind, in this, especially in this time in history, his means of getting by was to depend on the benevolence of other people. And so we see that he was sitting by the roadside begging. Remember, when we talked about... Um, uh, kind of the, we're, we're leading up to the events where Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover. So the Passover is approaching, and there's all these travelers traveling these roads, making their way to uh, Jerusalem. They're going through Jericho. And so Jericho's likely much busier than normal. And since Passover is a time of celebration, I mean, it's a, it's a holiday for them. Many commentaries note that people were much more likely to give, you know, to be benevolent. Think about it, you know, at Christmas time, the Salvation Army puts the, the buckets out and the bell ringers in front of all the stores. Why do they do that? Well, because people are busy going in and out of the stores. There's more traffic. And also people are, you know, more filled with the Christmas spirit, more willing to, to give. It's kind of that same concept of what this man's doing. He's sitting by the roadside as, as more traffic is going by trying to get um, money from uh, these, these p 
pilgrims, these uh, travelers that were making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So this blind man, he's set up. He's, he's just kind of doing his thing that he probably does every day. doesn't say that in the passage, but we see in the passage in just a second that he didn't know that Jesus was coming. So he's already there. He's not expecting Jesus to be there, perhaps, but he's just doing what he probably did day in and day out, which was to sit and to, to beg for money. And so we see in verse 36 that when he heard the crowd going by, he asked them what was happening. This man who couldn't see for himself what was happening, you know, likely he heard more commotion. Maybe he heard more of a, you know, a parade of people going down the main street. Maybe people around him started you know, forcing their way to the street's edge. There's probably more commotion, more words. Uh, you know, people seem more excited in their voices. And so he reaches out, he's, what's going on? What's happening here? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth? He's heard of him before. And we know this because he then shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's likely heard of Jesus. He knows the, the stories that have been circulating about Jesus. But I did want to note, in these two verses, I put them both uh, on the screen here for us. Do you notice the subtle difference in the two lines? What did the people around uh, the blind man call Jesus? Somebody, somebody tell me. Let's be interactive. I want to make sure you're listening. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. All right. So Jesus was a fairly common name. Uh, the Hebrew form of it is Joshua. And so Jesus of Nazareth. It's almost like just kind of saying, oh, well, that's, you know, Jesus and last name. It's, it's just kind of identifying which Jesus this was. Or, you know, you might have friends, you're talking to someone, oh, my friend Bob, which Bob? Oh, the Bob that lives in, you know, California. And you're like, okay, I know which Bob that is. The people around the blind man say Jesus of Nazareth. They use this common name for Jesus. But what did the blind man shout out? There you go. All right, you are listening. Yeah, he didn't shout out or what they had just said to him. He didn't just repeat what they had said. He didn't say Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, son of David. Now that's something different. That's not a common name. That's a title. That's indicating something a little more. That phrase, son of David, meant more. And at that time, and especially in this first century, that phrase had clear messianic expectations. Uh, it was an intentional uh, title. And so by referring to Jesus, not as Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus, son of David, was no doubt to say that Jesus, that's no ordinary person. That's not Bob from California. I'm picking on California today, but Bob from wherever. That's Jesus, son of David. That's Jesus, the Messiah. That's the one that all these prophets in the scriptures had been talking about. And so while the crowd may have been excited that Jesus was, Nazareth was coming. Yeah, we've heard about that guy. He does some cool things. He's, he's, he's a good teacher. He's done some amazing things. 
the blind man was excited because the Messiah had arrived. And though he couldn't see with his eyes, that's kind of the, the neat thing about this, this story, is those that could see only saw Jesus of Nazareth. The one who couldn't see physically saw the Messiah in Jesus. So what happens next? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. And my, as, as I was kind of mentally picturing this in my head, you know, it's probably the person that they're not too proud of. I don't know. Like, stop, you're embarrassing us. You know, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Like, he's kind of a big deal. We all know about him. We know the stories. Don't embarrass us. You know, he's gonna, Jesus is going to think Jericho's just filled with, with a bunch of weirdos. Stop, be quiet. I think one of the greatest injustices we can do is to take away someone's voice. I think even our founding fathers would agree with that. You know, one of the prominent cries that led up to the American Revolution was no taxation without representation. The issue wasn't that the colonists didn't want any taxes, so to say. I mean, we all realize, tax, I mean, none of us want taxes, but we realize they're a part of life. If we want roads, if we want infrastructure, if we want this and that, taxes are a part of life. But what the founding fathers were pointing out, no taxation without representation. Without, we need a voice in this. You're not giving us a voice. That's what the problem was. That's what the real breakdown was. When we silence others, and we fail to give other people a voice and to hear them, or even give them an opportunity to speak, we take away their dignity and we commit an injustice. And that's what the people tried to do to the, to the blind man. But the text continues. You've got to love this guy. He's got spirit. But he shouted even more loudly. So here he is in the midst of people that he lives with each and every day. He sits beside the road. He's begging for money. He does this each and every day. And these people around him probably know him. You know, Jericho's probably not too big a place. It's very probably community-driven. They, they know each other. And they're like, ah, quit, you're embarrassing us. He doesn't care. He shouts even more loudly, Son of David, he uses that title again, have mercy on me. The blind man was not going to let the pressure of the crowd deny him the opportunity to meet with Jesus. You know, that's a pretty good lesson in itself for us. We shouldn't let the pressures of our world or the opinions of others deny us or hinder, hinder us from the opportunity to meet with Jesus. And for certainly, we better not hinder anyone else from the opportunity to meet with Jesus. Well, the blind, we're still working our way through the passage. The blind man's shouts worked because Jesus stopped. You know, not only did he probably hear... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But he probably also heard the other people saying, shh, be quiet, Get, you know, go away. You're embarrassing. So Jesus stopped. And he said, bring that man to me. And Jesus probably knew just from how the man was coming, you know, that man probably had to be led to Jesus. Again, he can't see. So people probably had to lead him to Jesus. So Jesus knew of the man's condition. But you got to love the question that Jesus asked. So when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? 
It's kind of like Mr. Rogers, Jesus, just so polite. Like, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? There's no doubt Jesus knew that he was blind. But Jesus gives the man dignity. He says, here's your voice. Use your voice. Speak. What do you want me to do for you? You tell me, what's, what's on your heart? What's your deepest need? And we'll finish the verse and see what the man says again. He said, Lord, let me see again. Now, let's not forget something. I, I find something interesting moving through this passage. I didn't, I didn't, I'm honest, I didn't catch it the first time I went through. But I went through again, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So before Jesus had gotten there, what had the man been asking of everyone? For money. You know, he's just trying to get by. You know, probably just pennies at a time. Just enough to, to, to be fed, to stay warm. His focus before was just to get by. But now in the presence of the Messiah, what does he ask for? He doesn't ask for pennies. He doesn't ask for money. You know, he's not just still wanting just to get by anymore. And he also doesn't take that to the extreme like, oh, Jesus is asking, how about thousands of dollars? Or, you know, he doesn't go crazy with that. No, he asked for something that no amount of money could have ever bought him. He asked for something that no other person or thing on earth could give him. Lord, let me see again. His priorities shifted from just trying to get by to now, Lord, let me see again. He doesn't settle. He goes big here. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. This man's big faith has, has two results, as we see. One is, is simply the, the, the physical result of this healing, that he's able to see again, physically see but what's also interesting about verse 42 is it says your faith has saved you. It's indicating something a little more. It's not just your faith has healed you, but your faith has saved you. There's a spiritual component in this transformation. The, the man had faith in Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. Jesus was the one that the prophet Isaiah had said would restore sight to the blind do you think that little passage of scripture in Isaiah meant something to this blind man? That when the Messiah came to him, money didn't matter anymore. I'm going to rely on the promises of God. And if this guy is who he says he is, maybe he can restore my sight. That's my, my deepest desire right now. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me see again. There's one more bit to the story, and then we'll kind of wrap it up and talk about some other things with it. But verse 43, immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. This scene ends in doxology. It ends with praising God. And not just the man praising God, but all the people as well. That man's faith served as a witness to the power of God. And it doesn't say this, but you know, who was in that crowd? Who's part of all that people? 
the ones that were saying, shh, be quiet, silence. Those people in the midst of what God had done in this one individual had likely been transformed that they too saw it and realized, no, this isn't Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, this is Jesus, son of David. This is Jesus, the Messiah. Praise God. This whole account, this story, it makes me wonder, what do we ask of our normal day-to-day lives? You know, when we wake up in the morning or we, when we plan for tomorrow, where do we set our sights? Maybe, you know, well, need to make money. I've got to pay bills, you know. Uh, so I need to go to work. Or maybe if you're a student, need to go to school. You know, we need to do our, our roles, our jobs. Need to take care of the house. Need to take kids to practice. Maybe work out. Or I need to go shopping. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to get food together and eat and sleep. And then, and then what? Repeat, right? Like to, all that stuff just, just on repeat again. How often do we go through our day just with our to-do list at the forefront? I admit I'm a um, post-it note person. Like kind of live by these, these little modern marvels. Um, and I'm a to-do list person. So th- this, this is my to-do list. I've got these stuck on my laptop. I've got them stuck in my Jeep. I've got them stuck on my desk, like all sorts of, of to-do lists. And I, I kind of live by these things. And they help me stay organized. You know, they're beneficial. And they help me stay on track and feel productive and, and motivated. Uh, they're a great help. But you know what? When we consider this blind man and what he set his sights on, it wasn't so much with just getting by in his day anymore. When he had an encounter with Jesus, he set his, high, his sights higher than that. You know, he still, he still had to go on and he still had to figure out how he was going to eat, how he was going to clothe himself and stay warm. But he went on praising God, that last verse, as a follower of Jesus. His whole perspective and outlook had changed He now had a new joy and a new hope. And I want to encourage us all, including myself, to maybe consider just a few words from that blind man to maybe be our prayer uh, this week. It's just four words. Lord, let me see. What if we made that the substance of our prayer? I think sometimes we're tempted to think about all we have going on and all that kind of consumes us when we kind of pray about our to-do list stuff. But what about setting our sights a little higher and saying, you know what, Lord, I don't see everything. Help me to see. It's easy for us to get so nearsighted that all we're kind of looking at for our day-to-day is our to-do lists. But what if we prayed that God would help us see that we are part of a much bigger story than the one that we write out for ourselves on a little three-inch by three-inch post-it note, you know? What if we made our existence something bigger? That we kept living, you know, in such a small way and limiting ourselves by getting focused on these things. And it's not, not that these things aren't important, 
but to set our sights higher than that as well. What if we prayed, Lord, let me see ways in which you are calling me here and now to be an ambassador for you in everything that I do. When I go to work, Lord, help me see that I'm an ambassador for you. Help me see opportunities. Lord, when I go to school, help me see ways in which I can serve you amongst my peers. Lord, let me see ways in which you are wanting me to be generous. Open up opportunities for me. What if we prayed a bigger prayer that God would open up our eyes to opportunities? And what if we prayed for how we could share our faith publicly to others that we're around all the time? Lord, let me see. Let's not limit ourselves to this. Let's open ourselves up to how God wants to use us and work within us. Lord, give us new eyes in which to see the world. Give us the vision to see how we, each of us, are to reflect your glory and share your love in the world. Um, At the end of the service, I've asked the ushers. I've got a whole stack of post-it notes. So each of you, if you want, you can go home with a blank post-it note. And here's your challenge. You can do one of two things with it. Well, I guess three. You could throw it away if you want. But for the purposes of what, why you're getting these, you can do one of two things with it. Leave it blank. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car, on your, you know, dashboard somewhere. Leave it blank. Don't fill it with the to-do list of all the things that we know we have to do and get done. Leave it open for what God might do in your life and through your life. That's one option. The other option, if you want to add a little more to it, is maybe just write the words, Lord, let me see. Let that be your reminder each and every day that, you know what? God is wanting us to be and do more. Well, I mentioned um, at the, the beginning of my sermon that we're going to look at two very different individuals. So this was, this was the first individual, this encounter that uh, the blind man had with Jesus. And so next week, we're going to look at another encounter with a different person, kind of a completely different uh, life, you know, different defining characteristics. And we're going to see maybe how these two uh, compare, contrast, uh, but ultimately all lead to praising God and Jesus. Lord,